Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Samson was a man, and as most men, ladies, you know, most men have issues, right? We got some issues, and uh, so we're going to talk about those. First, I want to show you a book cover and, and tell you that if you have uh, kids, if you have high school kids, especially girls, uh, maybe junior high, high school girls, I don't know if you've ever done this, if you've ever practiced the practice of paying your children to read a book, highly recommend that you do that. Find books that you want your kids to read, bribe them into reading the books. And this would be one that I think that certainly you would want your young daughter to read. Uh, Tyndall Baldwin wrote this. It's, um, the, the subtitle of the book is Boys, Booze, and Jesus. That'd make you want to pick it up, right? So I don't know what you think a book like that would be worth. I mean, I would be willing to pay my daughter $50 to read a book like that. And um, so Taylor... Tyndall Baldwin travels all around the country and she speaks and uh, speaks to young ladies and to dads and moms and and at some point in her talks what she, one of the questions that she's fond of asking is this what do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong what do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong and she this book is all about her story from basically her high school years into the first year of college, and, and she's got a story to tell. Here's what's interesting about that question. You may not be a Christian person this morning. You may not be a church person at all. So maybe somebody dragged you here. You might not like church. You might not like me. Um, but this is a really important question because you're old enough to know that there's been a time in your life or a chapter in your life or a spring break in your life um, nervous laughter, a business trip in your life, a, a, a time maybe one night where you drank too much in your life, you already know what happens when you go to places where your body wants that your heart knows you shouldn't go. And we're adults, so we, we know how this goes and where this goes. This is a very important question, and the way you answer this question is determined by where your heart is. We talked about this last week. It's determined by whether or not you are living from the inside out or whether you're living outside in. And if you're allowing God to fill and change your heart and you're allowing your heart to, to be your guide or if you're allowing what you see on the outside to be the influence and the decisions that you make that govern what's going on on the inside. You know this and then we'll move on. Your answer to this question has the potential. Your answer to the question what do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? How you answer that has the potential to determine the direction of your entire life. And we could line up people and they could tell their story and say, you know, listen to Brett. He's, you know, you'd look at young people and you'd say, listen to Brett. He's telling you the truth here because you've lived it out in your life. It's a great question. What do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? We'll come back to that in a few minutes. In this series right in the eye. We're studying the book of Judges. Uh, Judges takes place in a, about a 300-year span of time between the time that Joshua ushers the children of Israel into the promised land. There's about 300-plus years, and then the first kings come. And um, I'll just say this about the 300-plus years. It didn't go well. It, it really, most of it didn't go well. They went through cycle after cycle. I've been showing you this slide in every sermon where, you know, there was this disobedience then there was disaster, then they needed to be delivered. And they would disobey God, and then they would say, oh God, please come help us, and, and uh, we're in the middle of a disaster, and God would come and deliver them. And he did it time and time and time again, but it just it seemed like they never learned their lesson. 
kind of like, I don't know how many of you are dog people. You have to be a dog person to understand the next illustration. If you're a dog person and you're of any age at all and if you've had dogs your whole life, then you probably at some point in your life have had a dog like this one. That is, you know, you, you love them to death. They're cute as they can be, but they're dumber than a box of hammers. You ever had a dog like that? Just, you know, oh, he's lovable, and he just, when he sees you coming, he's always happy to see you, and he's wagging his tail, but he's dumber than a box of rocks. And you're like, you know, people say, oh, he's so cute. And you'll say, dumber than a bag of hammers, that one right there. So he's lovable. He just never learned, you know. He, 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 he never learned to go in the grass to relieve himself. He just does it right there on the concrete. You know, just dumber than a box of hammers, that dog. So the children of Israel were kind of like that dog. And let's be completely honest. We're kind of like that dog. Sometimes we just don't learn our lesson. You've gotten yourself in trouble. You knew what you should and shouldn't do. You did exactly what you were told not to do. You did it anyway, and the person whose law or rule you violated or broke, you eventually had to call them and say, please come get me, I'm in trouble. And it was awkward, and it was embarrassing. And the book of Judges ends with this very dark and ominous statement. We've been looking at it each week. Here's how the whole book of Judges ends. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king... And everybody did what was right in his own eyes. During this 300 years, the way this was supposed to work, it was supposed to be a theocracy. And God was going to be the king, and God had given the law, and these judges were going to administrate the law. So through this 300 years, they had some good judges and they had some bad judges. There were 12 overall, and uh, two of them you may be pretty familiar with. We're going to look at one of them next week. His name was Gideon. You probably have heard stories growing up about Gideon. We'll talk about Gideon next week, and then uh, today we're going to talk about Samson, because it's an interesting story, and the truth is there's a little bit of Samson in all of us. Now, Samson's story kind of goes like this. It kind of starts the way all Bible stories start. You know, there's a man and a woman. Once upon a time, there was this man and this woman, and they wanted to conceive a child, and they were having trouble conceiving a child, and then Uh, God came and said, you're going to have kids, and they said, "Um, I bet it's a boy, because it's always, seems like that's how it goes in the Bible, you know, they're trying to have kids, and they can't, and then an angel shows up and says, you're going to have a boy, and um, so this child is going to be special to God, and the angel said, the Spirit of God is going to rest on your son in a very unique way, and so he was to take what was known as a Nazarite vow. Now, Nazarite vows were usually taken when someone was trying to get God's attention in some way. Usually, you would take a Nazarite vow for like 30 days, maybe 60 or 90 days. In very rare occasions, in extreme situations, you might take a Nazarite vow for a whole year. And, and, and part of the Nazarite vow was you, you would abstain from anything that, that came from a grape. So no grape juice, no raisins, no wine. You couldn't touch anything dead, and you weren't supposed to cut your hair. You were supposed to let your hair grow out. Um, And the reason for this is that people would look at you, and they they would basically say, oh, you need help, is what you, you know, something's wrong with you. No, they, they, you grew hair because you were trying to, you're you're basically saying, I'm trying to get God's attention. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in this situation, and I'm, I'm, I need his, 
I need his attention. I need him to pay attention to what I'm doing. So the odd thing about Samson was he didn't get to choose to take this vow. You know, usually the man would decide, hey, I'm going to take a Nazarite vow, and I'm not going to cut my hair, abstain from grapes for a, a month or so. That's not what happened with Samson. Um, he was going to take this vow. He had, his parents took this vow for him. It was, he, they were instructed, he's going to be a Nazarite. You don't let him touch grapes. You don't let him eat anything from a grape. You don't let him touch dead things. You, don't, you, know, you, you make sure he grows his hair out. So as he grew up, he was told, no grape juice, no, you know, don't touch it. I don't know, you know, bugs and things. I don't know about dead bugs. Don't touch them. Just don't touch them. And, oh, by the way, your hair's going to grow out because God wants to use you in a very powerful way, Samson. God's going to do something big with you. Samson heard this all growing up in his life. Now, the thing that was so interesting about Samson, Samson's story is basically a microcosm of the entire nation of Israel, really, when you start looking at it. God had chosen Israel to do something great, and God had chosen Samson to do something great. God wanted the nation of Israel to be a light to the rest of the world. He wanted the nation of Israel to be so big and strong and mighty that everybody else would look around and say, their God must be God, and we want to be like them, and let's do it their way. In the same way, Samson was so going to be so powerful and so strong that the people around him would say, wow, you know, what's up with him? Well, what's going on with Samson? And he was supposed to say, the Spirit of God rests on me. God has, is going to do something special through me. And the other way that Samson reflected Israel is just like the nation of Israel, just the same way that they kind of took their eyes off the prize and got distracted from the goal, Samson had some problems. You know, the, the Israel would say, we're just going to be just like everybody else. We talked about that in sermons past, that, that, that we kind of subconsciously sometimes make that decision. I'm just going to be like everybody else. The nation of Israel did that. They looked around and they said, let's be like them. And God's saying, no, I don't want you to be like them. The same way Samson made kind of a similar decision. But here's, Samson's problem was this. Samson's problem was women. Um, he could not keep his eyes off of Philistine women. And so what happened was when he was young, it was obvious that he was stronger than everybody else. And, and I don't know this for sure, but just the way the, the story reads... Um, it makes me think that Samson was not ripped. You know, when you, when you see a guy like this, um, I don't actually remember posing for that, but that's a... <laughs> that's, a <laughs> that's called low-hanging fruit is what that's called. When you see this guy, you think, I mean, there's no question that guy's strong. You would ask that guy to move a box for you, right? Hey, could you lift this refrigerator for me? I mean, you see a guy like that and he does feats of strength, you're not surprised that a guy like that is, is going to be strong. He, he just looks strong. Um, he's going to do things, and you're, you're not going to ask yourself, how did he do that? No, it's obvious. This guy's really strong. He's ripped. But if you see somebody like me doing it, you're like, that either has to be a magic trick or a miracle. Um, <laughs> So I think Samson looked like me, and not just me, like many of you, because you're out of shape too. Let's not kid ourselves. And uh, I, I just think Samson looked average. I, just, I think Samson would have looked just like, he, I don't think he would have looked like a bodybuilder. You know, we, I kind of grew up my whole life kind of thinking Samson would have had muscles, and, and, and it would have been obvious that he was strong, but I don't think so. I, I really don't think so. I think that he had this supernatural natural strength that when he did things, you would go, how in the world is he doing that? 
But then when the Spirit of, of God rested on Samson, this superhuman strength would happen, and he was able to do these incredible things. So very quickly, he got put to work. And his first job was that of a border guard between the Israelite and the Philistine armies and the, their, on their border. And, and um, he also became a leader pretty quick. He had some leadership skills. He, was a, he, he ruled as a judge. He didn't rule, but he acted as a judge for 20 years for Israel. But on this border guard job, he, he, he had a problem. He couldn't stay on the border. Um, every once in a while, he would creep down from the border, and he would get into one of these little villages and go into one of these little towns, and that's where all the Philistine women were, and he kept getting himself in trouble with these Philistine women. And you, you should read the story of Samson. It's an interesting story. The very first event we're told of in his life, the very first thing he, he did in his story was, it, it, this is what we read, Judges chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnah, so he's leaving the Philistine border, and he's going to go down into where the Philistines live. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman, and this would get him into trouble time and time again. He saw there a young Philistine woman, so he's going to go back home. When he returned, he said to his father and his mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah, now go get her for me as my wife you know can you just hear him like i want that one go get that one so his father and his mother replied the way you might expect them to reply this is kind of typical his father and mother replied isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives i'll just let you fill in your own joke right there okay Or among all our people, must you go to the uncircumcised Philistine to get a wife? Now, the phrase uncircumcised Philistine, it, it, was, it was kind of a dig because, you know, the idea of circumcision was, was a covenant agreement between God and the nation of Israel, and they circumcised their men basically to say, we belong to God in a unique way. You know, we're, we're his. And so um, this was a, you know, kind of a deal where Samson, come on, you know the story, you know that you're our only child, and you know that we got visited by an angel, and he told us that, that you were going to be special. And so if you're going to choose a wife, then you need to obey the law because through Moses, God kind of told us who to marry and not to marry, and we're not supposed to marry women that aren't Israelites. And, and you know, it's not because that God was, you know, against interracial marriage or anything like that. The problem was when they married outside of the Israelite nation, these women would bring in their, their false gods. And so this happened a lot. It had happened over and over and over. And it, it just be, became a big problem. And, and so, um, you know, God didn't want these false gods to infiltrate the nation of Israel. And they brought their household gods with them. They kind of, these women, you know, kind of were, they were taught to do that. And so, and God know, knew if you start marrying outside the, the Israelite nation, that's going to happen. It's not going to be good. And it's going to destroy your belief in God. And that had happened so many times already. And Samson's parents were like, look, Samson, we want you to get married, but if you marry a Philistine Philistine woman, she's going to bring her Philistine gods. And by the way, we're at war with the Philistines. I don't know if anybody's told you that. You're a border guard. You should know this. But you you, you just shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't have to explain this to you. Verse 3, the second part. But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She is the right one for me. Now, that's an interesting little Hebrew phrase right there, that right one for me. It almost parallels perfectly that phrase that we've been seeing throughout the scriptures um, several times in the book of Judges where we read the Israelites did what was right in their own eyes. It's that, that, the phrase almost parallels. 
In other words, Samson sees this woman, and this is kind of why he's like a microcosm of the whole nation. He says, I see her. That's what I want. I'm living from the outside in, so go down there and get her for me. And the whole story is a disaster. So they go, he gets married, and, and of course she wants to have the wedding at her church and uh, inside her border, and, and his family goes down there, and it's mostly Philistines, and they're at war with the Philistines. And Samson just cannot help himself, and he humiliates the Philistines. So they're mad, they kick him out, they keep his wife and marry her off to somebody else, and at the end of the story she gets burned alive for her association with Samson and his family, they just didn't like, they, it just didn't work out, pretty much, is what happened. Um, there's another story where one night he slips over the border and he goes down and he spends the night with this other Philistine woman. And, and this just kind of represents his life. The Philistines find out that he's there because they hate Samson. And because of Samson, thousands of people, thousands of Philistines have been killed. Their economy has kind of been wrecked because of his leadership and the things that he'd done, you should read the story of Samson. So one night he's spending the night with this Philistine woman and they find out that he's there and they surround the whole city because they're going to kill Samson. So he does this incredible feat of strength and uses the power that God has given him for his own interest and his own ends, which was another bad thing that he shouldn't have done. And so he, he just, he, he has these woman problems everywhere he goes. He just keeps choosing to do what's right in his own eyes and he disregards the fact that God's called him to do something unique and special and that his spirit's going to rest on him. And then the story slows down and he meets his most famous partner and her name was Delilah. Delilah. Now, I'm going to tell you this story and you may be familiar with it, but when you read this story for the first time, you think to yourself, and I'm just going to say this out loud, you think, how could any man be that stupid? Is it possible that a man could be so sexually inflamed that he would make one stupid decision after another regarding one woman and men? The answer to that question is what? Yes. Do one of you want to come up and tell your story? Or, I mean, <laughs> you know, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> It is possible for a man to become so enamored with one physical body, that, with one woman's body, that he would do some really, really stupid, stupid things. And this story of male stupidity on steroids, I'm telling you, that's what we're looking at this morning. Now, you know, you first read this story and you think, that can't be true. But the longer I live, the more stories I hear, I think this might be average, okay? Okay. I, this might not even be extraordinary. Um, and here's why. And I don't want to blame God, but, but, but God has made us sexual beings. And then sin comes along and it distorts sin. You know, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Everything sin touches, it just destroys. And the same is true of sexuality. And, you know, God makes this beautiful, wonderful thing called sex. And I, this isn't in my notes and I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but I'm going to risk it. Um, I grew up, I had a youth pastor who, when he taught us about sex, he used to say, if God made anything better, he kept it for himself. I, I mean, I always thought that was pretty good, you know? If God made anything better, he kept it for himself. So he gives us this great gift, he tells us, prescribes for us how it's to be used, and then um, 
sin comes along and it distorts it and makes it something it's not supposed to be. So consequently, let me, ladies, let me explain to you men, okay, really simply. Men are really simple. Here, here's men. Men need food. We need some food. We need sex. And, and we, from time to time, we need an occasional pat on the head, okay? We just need an attaboy once in a while. We, we just, we need somebody to tell us. That's really all we need, need food, sex, and an occasional pat on the head. And if we just had to pick one of the three, we would probably starve to death, right? Amen, brother. Now, ladies, before you get too excited about all this, and you just, I can hear you right now, oh, I just love this church and this sermon's awesome. <clears throat> the reason we're so stupid is because you participate with us, Okay? And, and ladies, I don't, I mean, like I said, I'm going to make you all mad before you leave here. I'm going to, I'm taking, it's, it's an equal opportunity. I'm taking shots at all of us. But ladies, you are just naive. Now, now, don't leave until I, you know, tell you what I mean by this. But if you believe in evolution, if you believe that everything is explained by evolution, this may stop you in your tracks. I mean, do you not think that after thousands and thousands and thousands of years of human development, that the naivete of a man or a woman would have been kind of evolutioned out over time? I mean, wouldn't we eventually get to a place where we're not this naive and just kind of stupid sometimes? Why is it that generation after generation, this doesn't go away? This, this remains who we are and how we think and what we do. Um, Ladies, you fall for the same things over and over and over again. Your mama warned you. Your grandmama warned you. You're going to warn your daughter. Your daughter's going to warn her daughter. And, and, you know, guys come along, I love you, and I need you, and I can't live without you, and if you'll move in with me and let me move in with you, let's just try it out. Let's just see if we're sexually compatible. Baby, God wouldn't have given me this desire if he didn't want me to fulfill it. Like, let's bring God into it. You know, he never goes to church, but now he's ready to bring God into it. God, baby, God gave this to me. And we're one, and marriage doesn't really matter, and that's just a piece of paper and a certificate. It doesn't really matter, and we're married in God's eyes. And on and on. And women, you believe that stuff. I mean, Oprah's been off TV, what, five years? You've forgotten everything Oprah taught you, right? <laughs> if you're in love with a man, <clears throat> if you're in love with a man, ask yourself this question. This is for all you single girls. Y you would come to me and, and you would say, but Brett, I just love him so much. And, you know, there'd be violin music in the back and flowers and daisies and it'd be beautiful and just let me ask you this question i know you love him i know you love him what do you love about him what do you love about him see if there's nothing great about him you're better off without him okay i'm going to channel my inner uh who is the who is oj's attorney uh johnny cochran yeah i'm going to channel my inner johnny cochran uh and yet, ladies, you just kind of go with, but he's wonderful and I love him. He's just so wonderful. And, and ladies, just, there are times, and I, I don't understand you guys, you will stay with some dude that 
I'm from a distance. I'm watching and I'm going, I don't get it. I, I don't, I mean, what is it? Why is she doing that to herself? And while I'm picking on women, um, and then we'll get back to Samson, I promise. I have two more pieces of advice for the women, okay? Um, like I should know any of this, but, but um, if he can't afford to marry you, he can't afford you. And you deserve to be afforded. You should be afforded. Now, here's what I mean by that. This whole thing of I'm not ready for marriage and we can't afford to get married, so let's just move in. Ladies, I'm not old-fashioned and I'm not naive. But ladies, all you know is, is your story and maybe a handful of other stories, maybe five or six stories. Um, I've heard hundreds of stories. I get emails I, I have people telling me stories about family members and Brett, you know, what do I tell them because they're, they're doing this and it's, they're screwing up their life. And I'm, I'm telling you, you, you need to get him to marry you. Um, and if he says, I can't afford it, <clears throat> then your response needs to be, I'll wait, okay? You ring it and I'll bring it, but if you don't ring it, I'm not going to bring it. That's what you need to say to him, Right? And right about now, some of you are trying to figure out whether or not you ought to clap for something like that or whether you want to run for the door. But this whole thing of I can't afford to get married, it's, it's, it's okay to not be able to afford to get married, but that's usually just the line, ladies, because he can afford his new truck, and he can afford his four-wheeler, and he can afford guns, Right? So when he tells you that, you just ask yourself, okay, so where did the truck come from? And the whole thing about, you know, are we sexually compatible with one another? Ladies, let me address that. It's weird to say. Somebody has to say this. Ladies, you are sexually compatible with thousands of men. <laughs> thousands, okay? And any guy that tries to leverage that is either stupid or lying. And we've already discovered and, de and decided this morning that we're stupid, so... When they tell you something like that, just think. And the last thing I want to say is this, and then we'll move on. Ladies, God designed your body as dessert, not the appetizer, okay? Young girls, you hear me? God designed your body as dessert, not the appetizer. And when you serve your body as the appetizer, you give him no reason to stick around for the rest of the meal. You spoil dinner. And all of your relationships are going to end up in the same place, and it's going to be your fault because you were so naive and you tried to do this your way. You did what was right in your own eyes, and you thought, well, this time it's going to be different, and this time it's going to be different, and this time it's going to be different, and it just ends up the same as the last time. And... and Girls, I'm not mad at you. I, I'm, not, I'm not judging you or condemning you. I don't even have a Bible verse for this. But I've heard too many stories. I, I've talked to too many people. I've lived life myself. It, it's, I understand this. There's a huge male sexual appetite. And there's a, ladies, there's an appetite in you for other things, but sexually as well. And our appetites get all stirred up. And then we do exactly what Israel did. We do what is right in our own eyes, exactly what Samson did. And we wonder why we end up like everybody else. 
So back to Samson and Delilah. I can see easily why this could have happened because of the way a man's mind works and the way men operate and the way women can operate sometimes when they choose to. Here's what happened. Judges 16, verse 4. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek. And again, he's going where he shouldn't go, and he's, he's looking at things he shouldn't be looking at, whose name was Delilah. Now, this time, it's really love, okay? The, the other stuff, I'm sorry about that fire thing. You know, that's my bad. But this woman, Delilah, he's all about Delilah. And she's a Philistine. And the Philistines, remember, trying to get rid of Samson. They don't like Samson. They come to Delilah, and here's what happened. Judges 16, 5. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him. Now, that's a great word. What is a lure? A lure is something that looks like something it's not, right? That's a lure. And a lure has what inside of it? Hooks. Men hooks. Think about that. Think about you being a fish in the water. Hmm, that looks tasty. I think I'll eat some of that. Ruh-roh. <laughs> I got a hook. See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him each one of us, and there are probably five of these guys, each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. And I've heard this is about $90,000. Inflation is tough to figure over 2,300 years, about 90 grand. You ready for the next part of the story? Verse 6, so Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. And I don't think she asked this question over coffee, all right? I think maybe this question got asked during dessert is when I think this question might have got asked. Um, we have a saying around here. I learned this from my pastor. There's no talk like pillow talk, right? Women are able to get incredible things done um, during dessert. I'll just we'll leave it at that. And, the, and the, you know, this question should make you go, okay, you know, if you're Samson, okay, wait, wait, wait. You, you want to know what? You're asking me how I can be tied up and subdued? Verse 7, Samson answered her, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings, not really sure what's going on, where that comes from, that have not been dried, I'll become as weak, look at that phrasing, as any other man. I have the potential. I have the Spirit of God resting on me. I have the potential, even though my birth was predicted by an angel. I mean, I'm special. I have the potential to be like every other man, Samson. Why would you want to mess with that? Why would you want to dip yourself into that world? Why would you even want to be average? Verse 8, then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. So he's drunk, he's passed out, he's, she's got him prone somehow, and she ties him up and this is kind of weird. There were men in the room, which I don't know what that's all about. Verse 9, with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. 
So the secret of his strength was not discovered. And it's at this point in the story that Samson should go, you know, Samson should go, maybe she's not right for me. (laughs) You know, I should have never crossed into the border and gone down into the Philistine villages. Verse 10, then Delilah said to Samson, this is great, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. And Samson says, well, it's not bowstrings, it's new rope. You got to get you some new rope. So Delilah goes and gets herself some new rope. Samson gets drunk, he's passed out. She ties him up. Samson, Samson, the Philistines are coming, the Philistines are coming. He jumps up, he pops the new ropes, and he chases off the Philistines. And Delilah is hurt. She's so hurt. Verse 13, Delilah then said to Samson, all this time you have been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me, how can you be tied? You might fill in so that you can be like everybody else. He replied, if you weave the seven braids of my head, so now he's at least getting close, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric of the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, but that doesn't work either. And it's at this point in the story, you're just tempted to say, okay, no man is that stupid. But there are a few guys in the room that are going, you should hear my story. Verse 15, then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time, (laughs) Samson, wake up, brother. This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And then, ladies, this next verse is in the Bible. Don't get mad at me. I didn't write this. I'm just the reporter. Verse 16, with such nagging, I don't know, I don't know who highlighted that, but With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. That's gorgeous. (laughs) So when sex wouldn't work, the nagging got to him. Ladies, it's biblical. You know, just (laughs) next time, next time he says, stop nagging me, you just go, biblical. Now, ladies, you you should know this. You you have such power, and, and, and some of you, I make it sound like a vast majority of you. I don't mean it that way. But there are people, there are ladies who, who leverage that power in, in all the wrong ways. And, and I don't know specific situations. I don't. I'm just telling you that when you do that, you are going to pay for it someday. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, but here's what you need to understand. Beauty fades. Beauty fades. God wants you to live from the inside out, which means that your wonderful outside beauty combined with a beautiful, wonderful heart from the inside out, it sets you up for success. But when you leverage your beauty and you troll with your body, you pay for that. And I'm sorry, maybe one day you move away from that, but God has given you so much, so much beauty in your your words and your heart and with your body and your sexuality and 
you know, used the right way, that can, it can be a beautiful thing and used for great things, but so often it's not. And, and Delilah combined her body with her nagging, and Samson said, okay, okay, whatever. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. Judges 16, verse 17, second part of the verse. No razor, he tells her, no razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God. And at that point, he should have been like, what am I doing here? How stupid have I been? I'm on the, I'm on the wrong side of the border. And I just keep waking up. And, I mean, she keeps asking me how I can be subdued. And every time I wake up, she's trying whatever it is I just told her. I mean, at some point, and now I'm going to tell her the truth. Come on, Samson. I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. In other words, I am a miracle baby. I shouldn't even be here. An angel predicted my birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become, look at the phrase, look at the phrase, as weak, say it with me, as any other man. I'll just be like everybody else. So they have another passionate night. He's drunk. He passes out. I guess that's the way they did it. That's the way they roll in Philistine country. It's a big night. She gets out her razor, and she's dreaming about what she's going to do with the 90 grand. And she didn't know it. But here we would be 3,300 years later talking bad about her. And the author of Judges says when he woke up, she's yelling, the Philistines are coming, the Philistines are coming. And he jumps up to his feet and he thinks, ah, silly Philistines. I'll go chase them off again. And the Spirit of God had left him. Judges 16, 21. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes. And if you were the movie maker and you were going to make a movie out of this, this is the scene, I just wonder if this isn't the scene where when they gouged out his eyes, is it possible that, the, that the, what you would have, the last thing Samson sees as that gouged out his eyes was Delilah. And he would say to himself, I, I never saw this coming. Oh, I'm on a roll this morning. <laughs> and maybe he realized in an expression of my sexual freedom, in an abuse of the gift that God had given me, I have become a prisoner of the very people that I tried to emulate. And they took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. And he died in shackles and the opportunities that would have been afforded to him were gone, everything that God had called him to be. Here's why I'm telling you this. You have no idea what God wants to do in your life. You have no idea. You have no idea what God wants to do through you. You have no idea what God wants to do in the next generation through you. You have no idea what God would do through you if you would say to God, God, I'm going to surrender my whole heart to you 
And I'm even going to entrust you with my sexuality. God, I'm all in with you. And you have no idea what God would do in you and what God would do through you if you would entrust your heart to him and learn to live from the inside out. And you say, oh, no, Brett. See, I know what you preachers do. You put me in the story, and you get me right there with Samson and Delilah. And Brett, I'm not Samson, and I'm not Israel, and, and that was good and inspirational. But as soon as I walk out of here, I'm right back to my music. As soon as I walk out of here, I'm right back to my friends. I'm back to my way of living. I'm back to my thing. And you almost got me, but Brett, you're not quite that good. I want you to hear this and then we're done. 1,300 years later, another Jewish man would write to a group of Gentiles and and Jewish people, a man who knew those who had seen the resurrected Jesus. He writes to them the following words and he writes them to you and me. This is Paul and he says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? In the same spirit of God dwelled the nation of Israel, the same spirit of God that rested on Samson, the same spirit of God that was in the Holy of Holies when we read about the Holy of Holies in the Old Old Testament. Do you not know? And I think the reason he says do you not know is they didn't know. They're thinking, what, me? Paul says, yeah, you. Listen, when you embraced Jesus as your Savior, when you decided to follow the Holy Spirit of God, that same Spirit of God rested on you we call it indwelled it came in to live in you just like samson which means that god has a plan for your life and god wants to do something in you and god wants to do something through you and he wants to touch future generations through you and through me and you dare not be just like everybody else Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. And the question, the reason it's a question is because they didn't know. And I I think maybe you didn't know. You never thought about it like that before. That, That God has something for you and God wants to do something for you and in you. And like we said last week, come on, God isn't trying to keep something from you. I think that's what we, where we get to. You know, God is just this cosmic killjoy, and he just wants to ruin all my fun, and he's trying to keep stuff from me. He doesn't want to give me the good stuff. See, that's how, he, that's how the devil gets us to sin, is he gets us convinced that God's holding out the good stuff. And if, and if you do that, it's going to be better. And then by the time you're 40 or 50 or 60 years old, and you start looking back on your life, and you go, uh-oh, I think maybe God was trying to reserve for me something really good and trying to keep me away from some things that were really bad. But now, I can't, I think God was for me. I can't go back to my 20s. I can't be 25 again. I can't be 35 again. I can't be 15 again. I can't raise my kids again. I can't have my college years back. The Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, listen to what Paul says, you are not your own. You don't belong to you any more than Samson belonged to Samson. You don't belong to you. You were bought at a price. Therefore, here's the challenge. This is the difficult part. Honor God with your spirit indwelled 
body. Have you ever surrendered your body to God and said, God, I want to make you the Lord of my sexual expression? And you're thinking, no, and I never will. Is there a closing song? Um, I'll just finish by saying this. I say this to you often. I care about you. I'm your pastor and I love you. And I get the opportunity to sit and talk with you on occasion. Sometimes you'll make an appointment and come in. We'll sit down and talk for a while. Sometimes it's impromptu. I'll see you out somewhere and we'll start talking and I'll hear a story. Sometimes people send me emails and I read this long email and it's sad and it just makes you want to cry. And I watch people that I love get worked into situations because of decisions that they've made because they've allowed themselves to make decisions from the outside in and everything is governed by outside in and they're not living inside out god isn't at the center with the spirit of god saying this is how you do this and you saying okay god if that's how you say to do it that's how i'm going to do it and we live outside in and we make bad choices on top of bad choices and then all of a sudden you come to me in tears and you tell me the story and at the end I just want to hug you and hold you and tell you, I'm so sorry. But we have choices. And you can either choose to be like everybody else, or you can choose to do it God's way and say, I'm going to do this, Spirit of God, inside out. It's our choice. And I'm just telling you, it goes way better the second way. Way better. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the story of Samson. It's comical, it's funny, but it's sad because it's, it's our story a lot of times. And God, I don't know what it's like to be a lady, but I know what it's like to be a fella, and I know that our sexual appetites are huge. And I've talked to a lot of guys, and heard the stories about how bad decisions have gotten in the way of a relationship with you and bad things follow through tears being asked the question, Brett, why did I do that? And God, there are some ladies that, that are in the room that probably are tempted to live outside in. They're going to do it their way and they, they're lonely or they're afraid they're going to be alone or, and they, sometimes they settle. Sometimes dessert becomes the appetizer and they end up just like everybody else. God, here's the beautiful thing. Over all of that, over all of our mistakes, over all of our sin, over all of our doing it our way, and God, I know better than you, you love us and we are forgiven. God, I just pray this morning that we would hear your quiet, gentle voice telling us that if you don't do it my way, it's going to hurt. And I don't want you to hurt. So, Father, would we hear your voice this morning? We love you. We worship you in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.